Greetings, Sanibona Mulweni. Welcome to Hearts Courageous, where we believe that it takes courage to look within and even more courage to do the necessary work so that we can thrive and live to the full potential of who God created us to be. I am your host, Nokanyo Lulundlovu, bringing you another episode of the series From Our Heart to Yours. In the last episode, we spoke about re-romanticizing the relationship, how to create and access joy. And we emphasized the fact that joy is our very essence. Just think about joy. There is a shift in the energy. I've said it before. There is joy just in thinking about joy, experiencing pleasure. The primary goal of the human experience is to restore our original state of relaxed joyfulness. All our behavior, in fact, is an attempt to recover our sense of full aliveness and to express it. And romance, my friend, is about restoring the joy at the core of our being. Yes, the romantic stage does end, but romance, it can last a lifetime. And this is what makes the difference between marriage becoming a chore or marriage becoming a celebration. In the last episode, we explored fun, play, dating, appreciation. We even spoke about positive flooding, which you said is appreciation on steroids. Now we're still on the path of consciousness, increasing pleasure and being intentional about our behavior. I have entitled this episode, Finding the Switch That Turns the Light On. Now, it is very interesting how sometimes you can learn something profound from something that is very simple. Recently, I spent a weekend away from home. Now, before going to bed, I did not take the time to locate the switch that turns the light on. So when I woke up at night and I needed to go to the bathroom, I struggled as I fumbled around. It was very dark and I was trying to locate the switch. I couldn't. Now, there was a bedside lamp, of course, but it was as if the person who had made it had intentionally tried to hide the switch. You know, in my mind, I knew where these switches usually are, but no matter how hard I tried, I just couldn't locate it. Eventually, I had to switch on my phone, and I don't like doing this at night because of the messages that keep on beeping. Now, in this episode, we want to look into the issue of loving your partner the way they want to be loved. And of course, it makes sense that you would want to know this. Why? Because, I mean, no matter how much you can scratch, if that's not where it is itching, you're just wasting your time and energy. How many of you out there, my friends, have tried your best to love your partner, only to be told, you just don't love me, you just don't care. Come on, what about one, two, three, that I do? You know, many of us know the biblical principle that is popularly known as the golden rule, which tells us to treat others the way we want to be treated, doing unto others as we would have them do unto us. And of course, this makes sense. If you want people to be considerate and kind and respectful to you, then you want to also treat them the same way. However, when it comes to romantic relationships, my friend, when we relate to our partners through our own lenses, we assume that they experience love as we do. And when we do this, we are projecting onto them our own wants and needs. Now, this can create distance and disconnection. It can even create a resistance. Now, it does not create a space for our partner to feel truly seen, understood, and loved in a way that is meaningful to them. So, the point of departure here is that you and your partner are different people. There is you and then there is your partner. What appeals to you and brings a smile may not necessarily do the same to them. Different people give and receive love differently. So if our objective is to show care in the relationship, doing so in a way that is especially meaningful to them is what is going to allow them to receive our love. Now, 
We don't encourage. In fact, we discourage symbiosis because in many relationships, when one says you and I are one, what they actually mean is that you and I are one and I am the one, which means I matter here more than you. Here, things are going to be done my way. Here, I say jump and you ask how high. Here, it is me and me alone who is significant. Now, emotional symbiosis, my friend, is a lack of awareness of the other as other of the other's right to be a separate, different, distinct human being with their own preferences, experiences, values. Oneness in marriage is not about yielding individuality and sacrificing your identity. However, it happens that for the sake of peace within the marriage, someone is going to end up giving up their individuality, you know, giving up their dreams, aspirations, desires, their, their worldviews and their ways of looking at life, their own desires, because they are trying to placate and actually make sure that the, 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 the container is steady and it is not tumbling. However, when someone does this, then it is what is going to cause a blockade to that connection. There is a disconnect and there's not going to be much that's going to happen in the department of intimacy. When one gets swallowed by another, the relationship is unhealthy and toxic. Just, that's the bottom line. You know, when you speak about symbiosis, I actually like a one statement that comes from Ellen G. White when she's admonishing one husband to realize that the wife has just as much right to her opinion as he has and that the marriage relation should not destroy her identity. She has an individual responsibility before God and this is her duty to preserve. So my friend, you are a unique individual. God has created you to be like that. Think about the colors of the rainbow. There is red and orange and yellow and green and blue, indigo, violet. And all of these are, to, are what actually make the relationship. Or these are what make the rainbow to be so beautiful. That is why in relationships or in romantic relationships where there is commitment, we don't we don't compete. You know, we compliment, you know, where I'm weak, then you're strong. And sometimes I may be a red who's out there, who's flamboyant, who's shining bright and who's loud. But I'm going to find that my partner is more withdrawn, more, you know, more into themselves, more introverted. And I'm going to find that when we are able to appreciate these differences, when I'm able to understand who my partner is, how, what makes my partner tick, you know, when I'm able to find that switch and then my partner is going to feel heard and understood and loved and more than that, seen. We all want to be seen. That is why I love the Zulu way of greeting, Saubona, meaning I see you. Even in relationships, even when you wake up, you ought to wake up and look at your partner and be like, Saubona, which means I see you. But not only that, but you're also communicating that, you know what, I see you, I'm here for you. I am here. I'm at your service. I'm here to actually make you a happier person. Now, I probably say this in every episode. Study to advance your partner's happiness. Make them an object of lifelong study. Be curious enough to notice when they transition and step up. You know, sometimes we're still holding on last year's manner. Because last year they were like this. People transition. People grow. And if you're a gentleman... You ought to be tracking your, your partner. You ought to know that, okay, when they are acting like this, then it is one, two, three. And you ought to know how to eye level up. Because, I mean, women are very complex human beings. If you think about the hormones and the cycles, it is important for you to get to know your partner to the point where you are able to track them, you are able to level up. And, you know, today is a new day. We need a fresh supply of grace. And if you do not know where it's itching today, you may scratch until you are blue in the face, my friend. But it will not be impactful. Till death do us part. Do you remember that? Do you remember that vow? If you are to be a contributor to your partner's restoration, you need to understand what moves them, appeals to them, makes them smile, annoys and frustrates them, causes them discomfort. 
You need to get under their skin. Intimacy. Now, we all love to experience pleasure. We seek it out. We go to the extreme lengths to actually experience it. We pay large sums for it. We actually, you know, some people will even risk their life to taste it. And when you do not have it, you feel upset and empty and despondent, deprived and rage. You experience, you know, but when you experience pleasure with our partner, we feel more alive, more creative, playful. We, 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 we also become more joyful, you know, we are a source of safety. We actually relax our defenses and we risk showing up more fully, being more fully ourselves, more fully alive. You know, we love love. We love falling in love. We love being in love. But we also love living in love and staying in love. You know why? Because it gives us joy. When someone says, tell me how to love you, this is synonymous to tell me what brings you joy, you know? Because what says I love you is actually idiosyncratic and learned in our families of origin and culture. Just as the triggers for our pain are personal, specific, and related to our childhood experience. Now, target behaviors are guided by the information that the partner is going to provide, you know, about how to touch their heart. Therefore, it's very important that you give each other information about how your partner can touch your heart. Withholding that information or assuming that the partner is going to know it, you know, intuitively actually deprives them of the ability to express love effect effectively. Now, this is the symbiotic belief that you speak about. When you're going to, like, to, to go like, you know, if you really love me, you'd know what I want. So I shouldn't have to tell you. And if I do tell you and then you give it to me, then it doesn't count. Come on, you should know me. You know, expectations that are not communicated are the breeding ground for disappointment, frustration, and conflict. Now, I know that many of us have probably heard about Dr. Craig Chapman's theory of love languages, which posits that there are five love languages that make people feel loved and cared about. He speaks about words of affirmation, quality time, gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. Now, Dr. Chapman's original theory was actually born out of his work with married Christian couples in the 1980s, and his work was formalized in his 1992 book. Chapman's work changed the way th people think about relationships, and it has actually become part of the language that couples and counselors depend on to talk about relationship dynamics. We use a lot of this information, even when we are helping uh, couples who are actually struggling to maintain or to foster intimacy. Now, you may wonder, how, how does this help? Knowing love languages, how does it benefit your relationship? Now, through his work, you know, he discovered actually that partners often misunderstand each other's needs, not because they aren't trying to connect, rather because they have different ways of experiencing and receiving love. What he did is that he hypothesized that if you teach couples to express their love in ways that resonate with each individual, then this is going to lead to more harmonious relationships. In essence, learning each other's love languages increases connection and feelings of closeness between partners. Now, here are some of the ways, you know, that knowing these uh, love languages could actually be beneficial. One, they are a useful tool of communicating love and care. Now, think about the concept of language. It's a tool of communication. And it's only effective if both the sender and the receiver understand each other. Now, imagine walking into a room full of people and you're shouting, fire, fire, fire. Now, if you understand English, as I say fire, you would know. And you'd know exactly how to react. You would exit into safety. However, if you are English speaking and I walk in and I speak Zulu and I say umlilo, 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 you're just going to continue with what we're doing because you don't, you just look at me and like you won't even give a damn. Why? Because you don't understand the language. Now, in therapy, you're going to find that sometimes people report not feeling loved despite their partner's attempts to express it. 
this can be very frustrating to the accused and it can lead to feelings of exasperation like what's the point no matter how much i try my efforts go unnoticed now love languages then are a way of communicating a way that is understood by both the sender and the receiver. They can help you, therefore, to share love in meaningful ways. You know, when you start speaking one another's love language, the things that you do for each other become more intentional and meaningful. They are saying, I love you in ways that make your, oh, that makes sense to your partner, who then is going to feel noticed, content, and is going to be appreciated. Love languages will also promote selflessness. When you are committed to learning someone else's love language, you are focused on their needs rather than your own. Now, this is the central premise of Chapman's theory. Couples should work to learn their partner's love language rather than trying to convince their partner to learn theirs. I know we are always about I, me, and myself. We matter more in this relationship. I'm the one who should be shown love and all of that. But you know what? If, if you speak or you learn to speak your partner's love, love language, it promotes, it shows that you are willing to be selfless. You are not self-centered. So ideally, both people should want to express love in a way that is meaningful to the other. What knowing this uh, love languages will also do is that it also creates empathy. You know, as you learn more about how your partner experiences love, you learn to empathize with them. Now, this helps you to step outside of yourself for a moment and take a look at what makes the other person feel significant and love. Now, remember, in the previous episode, we emphasized curiosity about your partner's internal world. So in the context of the healing power of a committed relationship, when you meet your partner at their point of need through their love language, this is validating of their experience, of their existence. Now, what you're communicating is, I see you, I hear you, your desires and preferences matter. So it's very important for you to remember that these preferences are shaped in childhood, sometimes out of familiar love with primary caregivers, but sometimes out of what was unfamiliar, what was missing, but what was craved and desired. Now, for an, for an example, think about someone who has the primary love language of maybe receiving gifts. This could have developed in the context of a childhood where parents, you know, showed their love to gifts. This was tangible form of a, a tangible representative of their love. It meant they were thinking about this person. They knew what this person liked. So when they were giving the person gifts, the person felt loved and seen. Now, on the other hand, you might have somebody else who is also going to love or who's going to understand or who's going to actually prefer the love language of receiving gifts. But you're going to find that maybe this person was brought up in an impoverished environment where there were no tangible ways of celebrating them, where birthdays came and went without any tangible gift. You know, there was lag and there was a desire to have stuff, to have tokens. There was a desire to hold. So you're going to find that Loving them in this manner, loving them in this manner is going to touch the childhood wound positively. You know, the child within is going to get that fuzzy, warm feeling as they hold the cherished gift. You know, when you are committed as a couple to learning and using the love languages, you're going to find that you increase your emotional intelligence and you learn how to put someone else's needs above your own. Now, instead of speaking your own love language to your partner, you learn to speak their language the partner that they understand. And if there is reciprocity, voila. Now, love languages will also help to maintain intimacy. Regularly talking about what keeps your love tanks full is going to build up understanding and ultimately intimacy in the relationship. You not only learn about one another, but you also connect at a more deeper level in more significant ways. And when this happens, your relationship is going to feel more intimate and it is going to thrive. Love languages 
love languages love languages also aid personal growth now if you focus on something or someone outside of yourself this leads to personal growth you know if you love your partner in ways that are outside of your comfort zone you're going to find that this forces you to grow and change because i mean if you remember what he said, it's not easy to give your partner what they need, you know, because it demands that you step up, you step out of your comfort zone, you flex certain muscles that have atrophied, you know, you learn new ways of doing things. And of course, initially, this can be irritating because, ah, why, why must I, I, I change this? Why must I learn this? But you're going to find that as you do this, you are challenging your adaptations that were born out of a need to cope with your own childhood experiences, maybe of deprivation. But when you do this, my friend, your risk showing up for them. You know, you recover those lost parts of yourself as you do this. And this is like actually walking back to your original self, you know, before the socialization process tried to trim you and shape you to fit the mold. Now, you know, this theory of love languages, it's beautiful. But though it is so beautiful, I believe that it is also limiting to a certain extent simply because it is a product of a very different time and perhaps a, a limited and homogeneous sample. Now, this also then makes one wonder whether the concept of love languages would look differently or the same if it were developed today. I mean, what if it included couples from other countries outside of the U.S.? What if it included actually other diverse groups? What if it included more uh, diverse ages? What I've discovered is that with the latest research around love, commitment and romance, it's clear that while some of these ideas about expressing love have stayed the same, Others have shifted significantly in order to encompass a different uh, types of people also. And they have been shifted significantly in the 40 decades following the development of this theory. And we don't want to be lagging behind and only depending on knowledge of the past, you know. That is why I wanted to bring also more information on this topic. And one of the theories that I've actually, find, I've actually found very interesting when it comes to love is what they call the seven love styles, you know. And this is... A bit different, but also similar in many ways to what uh, Chapman uh, actually has spoken about in the love languages. Now, what I've done is I've expanded the information about the love styles by incorporating Dr. Chapman's love languages. So it's like I'm combining two things into one as I share this info information that I'm hoping is going to be empowering to you, my friend. Now, the first love style that I want to talk about is activity. Now, people who focus on the activity lifestyle feel special and valued when their partner takes an interest in their hobbies and activities and actually makes an effort to enjoy hobbies and interests with them. You know, and these are the interests that are appealing to the partner. Quality time spent together on an activity your partner enjoys, whether it is sport or movies or hiking, a walk at the park, your partner's preference. So it looks like, what are you planning to do this Sunday? I want to join you this weekend. What, are, what, what, what is in your bag? What are, you, what are you wanting to do this weekend? What activity? And then you are going to put a comma on your own preferences and you're going to join the partner. And I know this can actually take a, a, a lot of effort. For instance, if you don't like sport, you're going to find that, oh, I just find, I, I become so bored. Oh, I don't like watching these romance movies and all of that. But if it's what makes my partner feel, feel loved, I'm going to uh, make my cappuccino, I'm going to make Milo or lemon water or chamomile tea. I'm going to put my cup next to my sofa. I'm going to sit and snuggle up to my partner as I watch them shout, party, score, move, shift, you know. I am here and, and, and I'm an audience watching my partner enjoy an activity and I'm right there alongside with them and I'm communicating, you matter, and I'm willing to make an effort. 
The other lifestyle is appreciation. Now we spoke a lot about appreciation in the last episode and people who focus on this, uh, on this actually a uh, lifestyle, you're going to find that they make sure that, you know, the partner is going to feel loved because I'm going to compliment them. I'm praising them. I'm thanking them. I'm appreciating them. You know, these people who enjoy this lifestyle actually love hearing explicitly what the partner likes and admires about them. Words of affirmation. I see you. You have impact on me. Your presence matters. Oh, I love when you do this. You know, oh, thank you for doing one, two, three. Oh, I so appreciate the way you do this. Oh, look at you. Oh, I love it when you are at your best element. Oh, I love how you deliver that message. Oh, the way you combine colors. I mean, when you're appreciating people like this, they feel like I'm seen and I matter. You know, people have been brought up in a way where they've been dismissed and disfavored, where they've been invalidated. So when we want to be intentional about healing or helping in their recovery, then we want to focus on the style that's going to make them feel exactly that. The other lifestyle is the emotional one. Now, people who focus on the emotional lifestyle feel loved when their partner connects with them and supports them through difficult and scary emotions. Being present for the highs and lows is very important to those with this lifestyle. I'm here for you. You can lean on me. You'll never walk alone. You know, while I'm still alive, I'll help you navigate challenging, you know, seasons. Ah, you can count on me. Count on me. I'll be there. You know, you'll never have to cry alone. I'll be there to pick you up. Oh, I'll be there. You know, you know, you know, you know, when the time comes and you find that you cannot walk, I'll be there to carry you. I'll be, I'll be there. I'll sit with you in that darkness until you see the light. You know, this is important because then people feel like, you know what? I'm not alone. I'm not alone. And of course, the other one is the financial. People with a financial lifestyle, my friend, they feel loved when their partner is generous with resources and sees value in spending money to bring them pleasure and joy. They want to splash on them. You are worth that and some more. I don't mind using my resources to actually see that you enjoy and you enjoy and you've got joy and you enjoy life. You've got pleasure. Now, this lifestyle may be expressed through gifts or just making space in the family budget for your partner's enjoyment. Making sure that every month you are deliberate about putting aside some ching ching. You know, you are saying to the person you deserve to be spoiled. You know, I want to make you happy. I love splashing on you. You know, for some people, love is spelled money. Yes. Some people actually prefer the lifestyle of intellectual connection. Now, people with the intellectual lifestyle like to connect through the mind. They feel loved when their partner values their intelligence, respects their opinion, and thoughtfully discusses important issues. You know, you stimulate me. You challenge my thinking. You have an interest in how I think, you know, in how I see things. My opinion matters. I have a voice. And you're going to find that some of the topics, you may not even be interested in them. But if you know that your partner loves politics, surely you want to educate yourself in that so that when they come up and they are talking about all these Ukrainian and Russian wars what is happening between israel and they are educating you also have something to say you know you must provide a holding space a container and if your partner loves cars you know you should be able to conduct an intelligent discussion around cars and of course it's not easy because it means you need to go and get some information do some research and hit them with it you know when they are talking about barcelona and which partner needs to be bought and whatever if you know that your partner loves barcelona then you want to educate yourself around that so that when they are, when they are talking about coaching and all these you know you know all these players that have got to be bought or sold or these players that are actually messing up the things and you are there to actually hold the container and your partner be like okay you know what I matter to this person. 
they see me. You may think it's something small, but if it matters to your partner, it matters to their relationship. And if you want to show up and you want to step up, then you want to do that and engage in the container of the primary lifestyle of your partner. Okay, let's move on to physical. Of course, people with a physical lifestyle will feel loved when they receive physical affection. Hugs, holding hands, you know, back and foot massages, snuggles. These people want to know that the partner is attracted, uh, you know, to them. And uh, this, the partner initiates touch. The partner, even the act of sitting next to each other in public, holding hands. You know, you're walking in a mall and you've got your arm around your partner. Oh, the partner is like, oh, look at me. It's communicating to them. And you know, some people have been dismissed in life. Some people have not been seen. Some people have got this wound of not being important, not being there, where they were never seen or cherished, you know. And when you do this, when you step out and you step up and you publicly declare, it's like you're showing off, you know, I'm showing off. This person is mine. Look at me. This is what makes the people sometimes feel loved. It makes them feel like they are significant. The other lifestyle is the practical. People with a practical lifestyle feel loved when their partners chip in with everyday duties and responsibilities. They feel cared for when their loved one is helping them to do chores and offers help, acts of service, you know, that communicate, I'm here to lighten your load, I'm going to share your burdens, I'm going to serve you, I'm at your service, madam. I'm at your service, say, what can I do today to make your life lighter, easier? Oh, today I just want to do something beautiful. What do you prefer today? What, what do you want today? How can I make your life easier? Do you want me to help with that report? Do you want me to proofread? Do you want me to sit here and do editing? Do you want to read that script again so that I can listen? Do you want me to do some editing on that? Oh, what are you, are you cooking today? Must I join you? Do you want me to make some? Just, just practical help makes people be like, you know what? I'm important enough. I matter enough. Someone is here at my service. Someone is willing to sacrifice themselves sacrifice their time in order to show me how much I matter. Beloved friends, I know this is a lot and sometimes it can be like, oh, there's just too much to this love thing. But you know what? If you want to live in a thriving relationship, you're going to make every effort. You know, you know, a, a, a throbbing relationship is worth every effort. So I do hope that you're going to find this information empowering. You know, you deserve to be loved. You deserve to be in a relationship that is beautiful that is filled with joy that is filled with pleasure you don't want to be in a relationship that is filled with pain and tears like you are married to an onion you don't want to be in an onion container you want to be in one where there's safety and connection and love and beauty and here at has courageous my friend are committed to give you the support that you need as you pursue this goal please allow me to live with an encouraging word from the bible first corinthians chapter 13 Verse 4 to 8, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, love does not seek its own. Note that love does not seek its own, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Beloved friends, we wish you love, safety, and connection in your relationship. And we want you to know that we keep you in our thoughts and prayers. Talk to you in the next episode.